Yay! Thank you so much for joining me today. Well, tonight for you in our it's live stream. Now it's 10 p.m. there. We have 10 p.m. Yes, it's evening. So you're in Luxembourg. So I keep forgetting how much of a time difference it is between New York and the rest of Europe. Because the last time I've been to Europe was, I think, in London way back in 2006. And that's my biggest goal to go back after everything is open again. But I think things are slowly opening up. Anyways, how are you, Dr. Jidem? Thank you. I'm fine. How are you doing in New York? So I, I just saw in news and it's so, yeah, I know. so, many things, so easy right yeah, now. So many things are going on here. Well, I think just a few days ago, there was like a big storm. I think it was caused by a hurricane that was like facing down south and a big part of the city was like flooded but fortunately for us we weren't affected but yeah but I'm so excited that we're here I I know we had to find that perfect day and perfect time for us to be here because I didn't want you to stay up too late as well but anyways Dr. Chidam can you please introduce yourself to everybody Who's watching today? Yes, for sure. I'm working in Luxembourg, very small city, small country in Europe. I'm psychiatrist and psychotherapist. And yes, I can explain a little bit about my medical journey if you want. Yes, please. So I was working in Germany for many years before I came to Luxembourg. So I'm in Luxembourg since two and a half years. And I started my medical journey actually in Turkey. I mm. left medical school in Turkey for six years. It's almost the same everywhere in Europe. Yeah. And after six years, so for my residency training, I came to Germany, but I couldn't speak German. So I learned German first. Uh -oh. <laughs> And uh, made all the exams for the medical license. <laughs> and then I did my residency training for five years in the psychiatry and psychotherapy. Mm -hmm. So it's a little bit different, I think, here. We are doing also the psychotherapy together mm -hmm. with the psychiatry. Yeah. So after this, I worked also in the neurology for five years and in some clinics in Germany in the psychiatry. And I decided to stay in the psychiatry and I am now my own clinic in Luxembourg. It's amazing. Such a long and expansive journey, right? Like, especially like medical journey in general, like even here, like medical school and then the residency and all of your training. One thing I always like asking my guests is, Given the long time, and obviously that time, like you make a lot of sacrifices, right? Sacrifices of time, sacrifices of money, sacrifices of, oh, I can't go to this birthday party because I have to study or I have school. Now that you've gone through all of that, do you have any regrets given the amount of time that you have spent to get to where you are now? I don't think so that, no, I don't regret it because I was always wishing to be a psychiatrist since mm -hmm. I Wow. I, I want to be always in medicine and I know many colleagues they say oh I want to be something else but I, I like to be a doctor or a psychiatrist yeah. working as a psychiatrist yeah. so I, I don't regret it and probably it's a little bit more expensive to study in uh, states as here because I mean here in Germany or in Turkey so it was sure. so expensive yeah. I think it was okay. Yeah, I think that's one of the biggest differences in the medical training here and there is how expensive it is here. Like for those who don't know, I think an average of about $300,000 is the amount of debt medical students come out of after medical school, which is such amount of money. 
you said you've always wanted to be a psychiatrist since you were 12. And I'm very curious about that. What are your inspirations into joining this field? Was there a family member who was a psychiatrist or a friend or a personal experience? And my uncle was a psychiatrist, but he always said to me, don't be a psychiatrist. You won't <laughs> earn any money. So it's better <laughs> to do something else. But I, I mean, I was loving the psychology and I thought that with the medicine and psychology, I can, there's a good combination with psychiatry. So, mm -hmm. And I think I wanted to be first a doctor and doing mm -hmm. the journey mm -hmm. to psychiatry to psychology and yeah. it's a combination the good combination that i yeah. think it's good ideal for me at least yeah yeah if there is a medical student or pre-medical student who's watching our live coming from a doctor first and foremost what is the biggest advice or the number one advice that you would give to a student who's aspiring to become a doctor advice for being a doctor i mean i advice for so it's a long journey for sure but it's worth it. I don't regret it and I think always important to following the path not yeah. something else and it's always important to remember what are your goals and when it's mm. too hard sometimes. Yeah I agree. And I wanted to talk about psychiatry because like you said it's kind of like a dual I guess there in Luxembourg or in Europe psychiatry and psychotherapy so it's a dual residency training then? Yes I mean for example I just checked today it was before mm. 1992 so it was mm -hmm. only psychiatry a residency so they changed and uh, they integrated the psychotherapy mm. so it's normally beside your psychiatry training you have to have also training in the psychotherapy in the same time so it was a yeah. lot of work so my every weekend was full of the yeah. seminars and yeah. trainings and supervision yeah. so it's normally five years training for mm. your psychiatry psychotherapy and one year neurology but it takes a little bit longer normally, but you have at least four years in the psychiatry. Mm -hmm. Then you are also psychiatrist and psychotherapist. So we are always doing also psychotherapy because mm -hmm. it's also the difference that will be paid from the insurance here. Okay, the patients must wait for the appointment, but at least yeah. they don't need to pay this extra. Yeah. So this is a big difference, I think, yeah. also from the United States so they can yeah. get better help then. Yeah. Uh, the United States has a lot to learn and change <laughs> in the whole system. Country, so it's I know, I know. How would you define the difference between psychiatry and psychotherapy? How are they different from each other? I don't think that there is a big difference, mm -hmm. but maybe I think in the psychiatry, we are just making a combination from social psychiatry, biological mm -hmm. psychiatry, and the psychotherapy. So mm -hmm. this is a combination from all and I don't think that we can separate each yeah. other one from the other ones. We need to also see the patients from all. I think yeah. when someone comes, so it's there is a social part that we need yeah. to be aware of, and there is a biological yeah. change, yeah. Uh, this kind of chemical disbalance in brain. So, yeah. and there is also kind of uh, conflict in the psychotherapy yeah. that we need to focus on. Yeah. Let's say you have your own practice, right? What do you think is the bread and butter of psychiatry? Like you're gonna work today, and you'll be like. For sure, I'm going to see this, this, or this in the patient. What are the most common reasons why people would come to see you? So most of the reason, I think the anxiety disorder, 
So uh, especially during the pandemic was a yeah. population from the anxiety patients yeah. and depression disease. Then you just look for the <laughs> even your survey. Yeah. So yeah. Surprised yeah. to to see today is uh, yeah. more than eighty percent. Uh, yeah. they are just suffering <laughs> anxiety problems, or they just suffered in the past. Yeah. A huge number. I checked the statistics. Uh, yeah. Maybe I can just say to you. Yeah. So, yes, please. Um, in Europe, so it's a little bit. Maybe yeah. I think in US it's more, but yeah. in Europe, in twenty-five yeah. percent of the population suffering from depression on anxiety. So twenty-five percent mm-hmm. is a huge number. So mm-hmm. it's from your friends, every yeah. four person has a this problem yeah. Every, yeah. every year, and but about fifty percent of major depression they are not getting yeah. any treatment. So. Yeah. It's actually sad because many Very people sad. they don't go to doctors or in cycle yeah. for getting yeah. treatment. Yeah, I mean, we were talking about this earlier. I really feel like a big part of it, well, based on the stats that from the survey that I took, it's really the pandemic. Where do you think this is rooting from, Doc? Is it from because when the lockdowns happened, people were isolated or people are afraid to get sick. You think it's just it's a mixture of like fear and paranoia, I guess. I don't think that it's a kind of paranoia. I think it's normal to have fears also. It was mm-hmm. something unknown at the beginning. Yeah. yeah. So we didn't know and we, yeah. we kind of virus, we didn't have anything. Yeah, we didn't know anything, yeah. So this was yeah. a kind of fear that the people... Yeah. And it's normal to have fears, the kind of protection for us. But uh, after some time, so for sure, some people have more anxiety as the other people. And uh, in Europe, we had three lockdowns and Mm. we we needed Mm -hmm. to stay at home. And Mm -hmm. it was good at the time. And I think after the vaccination, the people get more relaxed and now enjoying more life <laughs> but this one year it was a difficult year yeah. for many people especially for the healthcare workers yeah. i had many patients from the healthcare workers and many teachers so because for example in luxembourg the schools were open so they just made some tests but they were mm-hmm. open so mm-hmm. and it was a kind of risk every day yeah yeah, yeah. what does that chronic feeling of fear and stress Inducing the body, Dr. Shidan. Like, what does that do, I guess, both biologically, like in the body, and how does that take a toll on someone's vulnerability to becoming more anxious? I think what I'm trying to ask is is there a difference between, oh, I'm anxious and, oh, I have an anxiety disorder? Oh, I feel depressed. Oh, I have clinical depression. Is there a difference between the two? Is everyone just clinically depressed or clinically anxious? <laughs> so we have some diagnostic. So there must be some symptoms. And as you know, there are some diagnostic yeah. criterion for it. So mm-hmm. it means not everyone, when you are sad, it doesn't mean you are in depression. Yeah. Or when you have fears because of the infection or mm-hmm. Get anxious for a short mm-hmm. time because mm-hmm. you have an exam or something else. Yeah. It doesn't mean you have anxiety. But mm-hmm. if it happens every day, if it yeah. if it's uh, affecting your life, if it's affecting yeah. your functioning, if it's affecting your lifestyles or working, so mm-hmm. then we can talk about anxiety and depression problems. Yeah. There are some grades, so not everyone has the same yeah. level. 
there is a moderate depression, there is a severe depression. For example, for the minor symptoms, then we don't recommend to take medication. So it's mm-hmm. some little light symptoms. Mm-hmm. It's not always recommended. Yeah. Talking about actual diagnosed clinical depression and anxiety disorders, what I remember from school way back in my psychiatry rotation was what they call the diathesis stress model, which is basically the proposition is that the emergence of a mental health disorder or psychological disorder is a mixture of genetics where some people are just genetically vulnerable to having psychiatric disease. And then if there's environmental stressor, whether it's mental, physical, or emotional, then the actual psychiatric condition comes out. What do you think is the cause of a diagnosed and psychiatric disorder? Is it genetics? Is it environmental? Is it a mix of both? Yes, it's a mix of both. So, I mean, the model that we see right now is a kind of biosocial effect. Yeah. Yeah. The genetic disposition for sure, mm-hmm. but also the people when they just, it's not only genetic, when they just grow up with the parents and, yeah. some, for example, parent, mother or father, when they have anxiety, they see yeah. some parents and they just take it subconsciously. And yeah. there's for sure a genetic part too. And after some time, and if there is a stress situation, traumatic event or something else, it can trigger the symptom. Yeah. But it doesn't mean that everyone, for example, if someone has depression in the family, it doesn't mean yeah. this person will get depressed yeah. also in the future. Yeah. So, but for sure, there are some connections. Yeah, it's very interesting, right? Because some there's some people who have gone through so many, so many heartbreaking things in their life. But after that, they're okay, right? But there are those who go through obviously all pains are valid but heartbreaking situations and then they come out and they are depressed i agree with you that it's a very complex mixture of both right you can't just say oh this person won't get anxiety this person won't get depressed and i wanted to segue that into because i grew up in a very conservative and religious background and family and these topics can be taboo right and i think also in different cultures anxiety depression or phobia you'll hear things like oh it's just in the brain oh mind over matter oh just pray it away as a psychiatrist and an expert in the field of all the psychiatric disorders how do you target those statements as you said, I mean, there are some people, they are in difficulties and, for example, they are living the war and yeah. Yeah. they feel stable. So mm-hmm. it depends on also how you cope with the problems, how you cope mm-hmm. with the situation, mm-hmm. how you learn it. And mm-hmm. for sure, we don't see every traumatic event is always, it doesn't mean that you're getting a post-traumatic disorder when mm-hmm. you have a traumatic event. Mm-hmm. So sometimes we learn also from our problems or psychology is strong enough to to learn some coping Mm -hmm. strategies but sometimes it's also important to get some help if we cannot do it by ourselves but it doesn't mean you should go directly to a psychiatrist but at least talking with a friend or talking 
Mm. Just picking up and not trying to manage everything by yourself. Yeah. This yeah. is the first step, just saying, okay, I cannot manage it right now, so I'm just seeking help. Talking with a friend or a teacher, yeah. or I go to psychologists or psychiatrists. So yeah. there are many ways to seek for help. Yeah. Someone comes up to you, to your clinic to see you and says, I'm very anxious or I've been struggling with anxiety. Do you have a stepwise approach? to taking care of that person i'm asking because there's a big misconception here in the united states at least from what i know is a lot of people don't want to go to psychiatrists because they feel like once they see them the first answer is always medications how do you maneuver that how do you take care of your patients who come in and say doc i have a problem and i need help is it medications right away i think you need to first find out if there is an indication for medication mm -hmm. So, because not everyone needs medication. So, if you don't have any like moderate or severe depression, mm -hmm. we are not talking about medication. So, then someone comes and saying, "Okay, I'm anxious," and we try to first find out what's the problem, what's going on, what are the trigger, which kind mm -hmm. of conflict. So, what's in the background? Why? Yeah. Right? Because it's person is coming with a symptom. So yeah. there's a issue. But yeah. what, why it's happening? So it can be anxiety, it can be sleep disorder, yeah. or the alcohol problem. But what's happening in the background? Mm -hmm. So why it's happening? It's mm -hmm. important to find out the conflict. Then you can solve it. You can help this person. If you just concentrate yourself to the symptom and trying to mm -hmm. solve the symptom only with the medication for example mm -hmm. when someone comes and wants to saying i cannot sleep i have a sleep mm -hmm. problem so you can just write a sleep medication for sure mm -hmm. but mm -hmm. it's important to find out why it's happening mm -hmm. and I, i agree with you many people don't go to psychiatrists because they think ah, i'm going to get medication okay. but uh, if you need it i would say for sure so yeah. if i there is a need of medication mm -hmm. i will talk about it but there are also some plant-based medication that we mm -hmm. use in the psychiatry and the problem for many people they think when they take medication the personality will change but then i'm asking is it your personality to have anxiety all the time so is it your personality do you accept as normal personality I agree. I agree with that. See, that's a great psychiatrist right there because, and I think generally like a great doctor, right? Or someone who sees patients is someone who focuses on the person and not the symptoms itself, right? I think we get so hung up on all the numbers, all of the symptoms that we forget that the person coming in has a story to tell, right? That there's something underlying going. Obviously not to give out specific patient details but for your patients who come in with for anxiety and depression do you see a trend of what's causing theirs like situational wise is it separation from loved ones is it a death of loved ones is it divorce is it sickness i think it can change from mm. place to place if there's mm. a kind of cultural aspect mm. And I, I mean, when I talk about Luxembourg, there is a mm -hmm. lot of work issues mm -hmm. because it's a finance center. Mm -hmm. so there are mm -hmm. Lots of working the people mm -hmm. are mm -hmm. mostly alone, and they are they just come to earn money, or they just mm -hmm. they stay alone. They especially during the pandemic, the social isolation mm -hmm. issue. Mm -hmm. But for sure, every key event like divorce or mm -hmm. losing a partner mm -hmm. or I have my cat here. So <laughs> Hello. There. I don't know. Can you see so me? Cute. Hello. <laughs> so cute. Okay. 
So it could be in many triggers, but uh, as I see in Luxembourg, this is the main mm -hmm. problem with the walking and, for example, mobbing is very, it, yeah. Yeah. very often here in the companies, unfortunately. So I don't know, how is it in space? So there could be, when you go to a place with the cultural problems, like very yeah. religious place, so there could yeah. be very, also different subjects. Yeah. For sure. I know the divorce rate is high here in New York, or there was a time where single parented was a big statistic as well. And that's why therapy is now becoming encouraged. And like I said earlier, it mental health, Discussions can be a taboo topic for most. I feel like there was a time where no one wanted to talk about, oh, I have anxiety or depression because it's seen as a weakness for certain cultures, for sure. Speaking for myself directly, like from what I know in the Asian culture, no one wants to hear about, oh, you're anxious, oh, you're depressed, oh, you need a mental health day? Those are very taboo topics. What do you think is the key for the world to start opening up to destigmatization and promoting the normalcy of mental health disorders? I think it's already getting better yeah. compared to maybe before. before. So yeah. already getting better and I think <laughs> here now so mm -hmm. as we are doing now a yeah. kind of conversation about it we are informing people and yeah. just giving this attention to the mental health yeah. i think mm -hmm. we are just saying okay it's normal it's also yeah. kind of sickness it doesn't yeah. mean you cannot see this but yeah. you can still have depression and yeah. you don't feel guilty when you are yeah. depressed when you cannot do yeah. the things so yeah. it's okay to have also mental health problems yeah. Yeah. And okay to seek help. Help. Yeah. yeah. I think a big part of it also is some people, there are people who don't believe, right? Yes. That, that um, you're anxious, you're depressed. A lot of people dismiss topics like this by saying, oh, it's just, it's just in your brain. When technically it is, right? Physically, doc, like anatomically, is there data from like, brain images or blood tests that we see that there is a difference between someone who is clinically depressed or clinically anxious versus one who is not? I mean, there are some tests about measuring the serotonin. Mm. I mean, we are not using the daily report, yeah. so it's because yeah. it can also change or some people have low serotonin and they are still not clinically yeah. depressed or anxious, yeah. so it changes. So we are not using it. It's more about a kind of when you just have your sessions or you when you talk with people when you have anamnes, you will see it actually. Yeah, for sure. But as a psychiatrist, you obviously sit down with all these patients, pouring out their life stories to you, which I can imagine some of them are very heartbreaking, would cause these mental health discussions with you, the psychiatric discussions. How do you not get affected? by those stories or do you how do you separate your own psyche from the person in front of you who's showering you with all of these pains and the fears and anxieties so i mean during our training so yeah. we need to also in the psychotherapy part we need to have also our own mm -hmm. therapy so mm -hmm. at least yeah. 20 sessions i think i had almost 200 sessions 
by myself. Wow. So it's, it's, so it means you need to learn yourself best. Yeah. And mm-hmm. also, we did also some supervisions with the professors who to mm-hmm. understand the situation. Mm-hmm. For sure, you are also, mm-hmm. I mean, we are all human, so we are, have yeah. feelings, we are empathic, but you need to set some boundaries yeah. and uh, to protect yourself. Yeah. So it's also important that you should be aware of your own issues you should be aware of your own problems and also not showing this also to your patient yeah because i think there's also the possibility of you projecting your own emotions on the patient right like oh wait i went through that already i guess sometimes it's hard to be like oh this is what i did (laughs) versus of like oh this is what you should do or what we should do i think that's why i don't know how it is again in other places and this is why i when, when you said that you were in Luxembourg and you were like, is that an issue? I was like, no, it's definitely not. Because I do want to see how different it is in different parts of the globe, right? Because all I've known is here in America, I, I grew up here. And a common, um, a common thing between like nursing students or medical students are they usually say, oh, I can't work in psychiatry. Oh, I, I can't, I can't work. I, I can't, I don't have what it takes to be in the but field But do you work in psychiatry? Did you work in psychiatry? No. Well, I had clinical rotations back when I was in school, when I was in nursing school. And it's a a very tough unit. It's a very tough field. That's why there's a lot of people who are saying, I know a lot of nurse friends and doctor friends is like, oh, I can't work in psychiatry. I don't have what it takes to work in psychiatry. As the expert in psychiatry, do you think there is something in a work a professional worker in the field of psychiatry that they possess is there a specific personality or whatnot that oh only these people are can work in psychiatry because it takes a lot of emotional toll on you too right yes for sure you need to be personally stable yeah (laughs) in psychiatry you cannot have your own issues and and you have problems so it's Mm -hmm. difficult for you to concentrate other people especially in the clinics so in the acute treatment so it's more difficult you have psychotic people so yeah. there, there are many people with anger problems yeah. so alcoholic problems there are mm. many issues and especially when you work in the clinics it's more difficult in a, in a yeah. hospital yeah so i would uh, probably prefer i mean i prefer to work now by my yeah, yeah. It's yeah. more difficult in the hospital yeah because it's all mixed, right? Every, everything is going on. That's how I always said I always tell my friends. Uh, one of my friends is a psychiatric nurse. And she's like, oh, you should you should come work with me in, in my psych unit. And I keep telling her, if I work in your unit, I'm going to be one of the patients by the, <laughs> by the end of the day, honestly. I remember when I was in my psych rotations, we have our own patients. And, you know, you have patients with schizophrenia or personality disorders, suicidal ideations, or byproducts of suicide attempts. And it's sad, like like you said earlier, Doc, it's so sad to know that while we see patients in the hospital or going to you and to other psychiatrists for help, there's a big amount of the population who are not getting the help that they need, technically. Um, or they go too late, that it's already kind of a chronic problem. Um, that's why I was wanted to ask you too. Is there a time that's too late to ask for help? I mean, if, for example, if you have a psychotic problem, mm-hmm. you don't go to the doctor for yeah. getting 
out and you have many episodes already mm-hmm. and it's possible that you have still uh, i mean you will have also still some problems for mm-hmm. all your life so yeah it's important to get in count in, in the right time yeah yeah and yeah. for depression for sure it's it's not only about that it could be chronic it's also yeah. dangerous i mean you know yeah. that there are happening many suiciding yeah. self-harming so yeah. there are many problems it's many people mm. are dying because of the yeah. health issues yeah 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 for sure when i was in high school actually i had periods of months where i was just generally anxious all the time but during that time i was too afraid to <laughs> you know seek help like i really could not sleep my mind with the race uh when i'm trying to sleep and it's like there's always that black hole and like that deep feeling in your chest that you cannot explain and I see that it's a prevalence in a lot of teenagers now. Do you think, like, for my generation or within my generation, I'm 24 years old. So do you think in my age group there is a prevalent factor for the rise in anxiety and depression? Do you think it's technology? Do you think it's social media? Do you think it's diet or cyberbullying? Do you think it's a mix of all of those? I mean, also in my generation, there yeah. were some yeah yeah talk about it also yeah, yeah. Uh, so i think in every generation there were yeah. some problems maybe we are, we are more aware of mental health right mm. now and we are mm-hmm. paying more attention to this and seeing yeah. more also the the problems yeah. but sure the medical technology changed and it's also affecting our brains and this change is too fast sometimes mm-hmm. so our bodies our brains are still too slow for this change mm-hmm. so you just see the young person. So then this person, like looking at the computer, playing games all the day. Mm-hmm. So it's a lot of uh, a lot of distraction, also yeah. a lot of changing, a lot of triggers. So yeah. it's all affecting your brain. Yeah, I agree. Isolation. So yeah, yeah, and yeah. Or just with your smartphone or yeah, the whole day, right? and all the day and mm-hmm. i think we were still younger uh, older generation was still a little bit more lucky to have more social contacts mm-hmm. i agree i agree with that completely i feel like even kids now they're like on their phone all the time right and the content of what's on their phone right we have ideal beauty standards that may lead to body dysmorphia right and we see even events of anorexia and bulimia in many young people in my survey i asked like what's your greatest fear and i was alluding this to people have different phobias you have agoraphobia you have arachnophobia there's there's just phobias of every kind but the answers that I received were actually not specific objects or specific things or places. They were very vague and complex answers. And a few of them were, I'm afraid of death or I'm afraid of losing my loved one. And one of them was, I think it was too long for them to write. So they divided it into <laughs> into answers. They said, I'm afraid that I will lose control. And I don't know what will happen to me when that happens. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are many people who feel that way all around the world and they don't want to tell anyone, obviously, because there is a stigma still, no matter how open it is now, there is still a stigma and the fear of being called, oh, you're crazy. Oh, you, 
you're weak. As a psychiatrist, how do we tackle that? You know, especially in that periods of panic, are there techniques and strategies to ground yourself in that moment? Yes, for sure. We have some grounding techniques and some relaxation techniques that we can use uh, mm-hmm. at the moment because it could be a kind of positive distraction that you can use or something mm-hmm. that you like. Mm-hmm. Or, I mean, giving, as I said, there are some techniques that you can learn during the mm-hmm. therapy, but mm-hmm. sometimes it's important to find out, okay, what's this person like, what this person like or mm-hmm. personally loves and yeah. It's important to know it individually. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. I'm so sorry, by the way, that all my questions are so long. Uh, <laughs> I that, think that... Uh, I'm, uh, nice. it's nice to hear and yeah. I talk about it, so it's, no worries. Yeah, psych- yeah, psychiatry and mental health is such a big topic here and it's one that's personally dear to me because I do have a lot of friends. Also, I, I have a friend who died by suicide years ago um, who I went to high school with and it's a very prevalent issue and a big issue here too is physician suicide mostly amongst the residents who are in training people feel stuck and i think also with all of the news that's going on in the world right add in like natural disasters or whatnot i know there was like a fire in turkey just a month or more than a month ago and all of these news can bring so much bearing to people's emotions even if you're not from that country or even if you don't have found that country just reading news like these do you think people should avoid reading horrific news like these to protect themselves or is some acute stress important for the body as well i think i mean for example during the pandemic so it was recommending to people not reading too much, not this mm-hmm. overstimulating mm-hmm. because it was also a lot of wrong information. Yeah. Yeah. The information was changing all the time. Yeah. Too much. Yeah. So for sure we need to look for news. But if I mean when you just watch the news all day and so it's possible that you can also get traumatized by yeah. reading or hearing the things. Yeah. It's yeah. Possible. So it's important to avoid some part but mm. not everything yeah and we need to just protect ourselves and not just yeah. concentrating the negative things in yeah. our, out of our lives on the yeah. all places that we, I yeah. mean, I'm, the bad things are happening but there are also nice things happening yeah there. yeah yeah and that's like a form of decompression right finding things outside the bad and focusing on them and like I said earlier, as a psychiatrist, you hear the <laughs> you hear the worst things ever, the most heartbreaking things ever. How are the ways that I know that you also had therapy for yourself throughout training, but now, after a long day at work and you've heard all of this stuff, how do you separate yourself from work? Is do you have like a hobby or whatnot that separates you from work? Mental uh- I don't know. So it's difficult. Sometimes uh, when I have a lot of things, I'm, I mean, I hear also very sad mm-hmm. stories, yeah. and, but it's too much. So mm-hmm. I don't want to hear anything the rest mm-hmm. of the day, but it's not possible. Mm-hmm. So I come home, yeah. so maybe it's now more automatically that I just change. It up. But it's possible that it's sometimes too much and I need to relax and i like to for example i like traveling (laughs) for example at the weekends we we are going somewhere else and i just try to spend my time the rest of the time positively 
and yeah. giving the attention to the positive things that I like. It's amazing, yeah. Which I feel is so important also for everybody is to have a life outside of work. Right? So this whole life balance, I think it's important yeah. for everyone, right? Yeah. And we do see people who do not have that, right? And it leads to very, very dangerous results, whether physically they're overworked or mentally and emotionally. And just one common question, actually, that I received from the DMs when I started promoting our post is, when is the time to switch from just going to therapy to actually seeing a psychiatrist? You mean a therapy as a psychologist? or what Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, there are some people, they are also got coming directly to me, for example. Mm -hmm. I'm also a psychotherapist. Mm -hmm. So I don't know how it is in the U.S. I think there mm -hmm. are more psychologists, they are for first step. So, and normally the psychologists, when they are in the therapy, they are saying also, they are clients mm -hmm. that it's yeah. time to see also psychiatrists. Yeah. And yeah. they see, okay, it's, there is some dangerous situations or... Yeah, yeah. Um, medication so normally the most of the psychologists are working also together with the psychiatrists yeah 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 there are for sure some they don't believe in the medication but uh, i think there are the most of the colleagues they are working together so yeah i think it could be helpful to keep in touch and yeah, yeah. as i said sometimes the, the people can also come directly to psychiatrists yeah, I agree. And basically what I'm getting from this whole conversation is to not be afraid of a psychiatrist. Because <laughs> I think at least for here, there is a certain, I don't know if fear is even the right word. I think it's more of like an easiness or people are afraid to be judged by others, right? What is your message as a psychiatrist to someone right now who's going through such a hard and heartbreaking and traumatic period, time, season in their life? I think nobody, the people, or you shouldn't manage everything alone. I think mm -hmm. it's not a big issue to seek for help. First, yeah. at least talking with a friend could be the first step. Yeah, that's true. And then if there is need, so there is no, I mean, we are all human. We are all, we have also our problems. So it's not, the life is not always happy. And we, it's normal to feel sad sometimes. There are good days and bad days. And for now, it's a difficult time now. It doesn't mean it will stay like this. Mm, yeah. That, something that I say, but there are probably many things to say. Yeah. Yeah. No, no, no. I agree, Doug. You're right. You're completely right. Like, right? We always see those inspirational posts on Instagram. It's just a bad day. It's a bad week, bad month, bad year, but it's not a bad life, right? Um, Doc, it was, I've learned so much today and I feel even more encouraged than ever. And thank you so much for all that you do. It, it's such an integral and imperative line of work that you do. Like you said, we are all humans. I think there's some who believe that they're superhumans, but... For sure. <laughs> yeah, only to find out, you know, in the end that we all have our own weaknesses and our flaws and scary stories in life, right? And heartbreaks. But thank you for being that vessel and for the world to be comfortable and to be more open to yourself and to remind everyone that, right, no man or no woman is an island, right? <laughs> Doc, 
Thank you so much. I had so much fun talking to you tonight. Tonight, I keep saying today, but it's tonight for you. Um, I don't want to keep you for too long because I know it's late there. If you want to say a closing statement to everybody. I wanted to also give a feedback. I like your videos. So I think it's... <laughs> Thank you so much. I watched also the other one, so I, I think it's a super work. So I, I want to also thank you for this. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Doc. Thank you. I hope you have a great night. This will not be the last time that we will there talk because I know there's for sure. There's, there's a lot of people who still need to hear this message time and time and time again. All of these reminders that it's okay not to be okay, right? Yeah. So, Doc Chidam, thank you so much. Have a good night there in Luxembourg. Enjoy Stay safe. Yes, thank you. Bye. Bye. Thank you for watching. Bye.